Hey everyone, welcome back to Two Spot Monkeys Live. This is episode 10, and for those of you watching us on YouTube, as you see, I raised my cup. Episode 10, we want the smoke, red solo cup. Cheers, Jim, how are you? I am doing well. I should have had one here too. I, I have a Diet Coke I can raise, but other than there's, that, so. There's some red in there, so it's all good. Sponsorships, you know, something, right? <laughs> awesome. I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Looking forward to uh, talking about two very different shows today. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun episode. Yeah, we're on the heels of uh, extreme the, the horror show at Extreme Rules, which we're gonna dive right into here from the start. And then uh, what we've been anticipating, maybe, or what others have been anticipating for the last couple of weeks that we've been maybe teasing it. Uh, retro retro review in your house too, as we uh, as its anniversary, 25th anniversary happens this week. We're gonna dive into that. So that's gonna be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully the, the plan is this will drop on Thursday, which is the uh, the actual 25th anniversary of that show. So that'll be a Hopefully that all works out. Um, I know I can make it happen on the podcast side. The YouTube side is a little bit more as it works, um, but it'll be close to Thursday when YouTube goes up. How about that? There you uh, go. Well, I don't know. I don't know how to segue. Well, I don't know how to segue. One of our, our uh, listeners, uh, Annette, uh, who's a good friend of both of us as well, um, said that she wanted uh, me to go on Facebook Live uh, last night. Spoiler alert, we're recording on Monday. Um, but last night when uh, the eye for an eye match happened, um, I did not do that because I was afraid that I might get banned uh, from Facebook. So I <laughs> chose not to do that. But let's get into Extreme Rules, Tom. Three big things. Um, I'm going to let you start because I think we know where I'm going to go on the first <laughs> one. So I'm going to let you start. Yeah, wow. Um, so I watched last night and I finished this morning. I was able to stay spoiler free, so that's exciting. It's always a plus. Um, I guess the first big thing I'll say is I wasn't I wasn't overly disappointed with this show. And 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 perhaps that's having tempered expectations going into it. Um, I think my second big thing will 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 be on the opposite end of that tempered expectations piece. But uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I, th I think part of that is again, a runtime of just over two and a half hours uh, from the, for the regular show, not including the pre-show and the match that happened there. These are nice tight shows, uh, which is not what we were getting before the pandemic. Uh, so good, bad, or otherwise, whether that's your cup of tea or, or not. Um, that that I think is a, is a, is, a, is a good thing. Uh, it easily could have gone longer had we had a couple of matches that were planned that didn't occur. So um, yeah, so I guess first big thing for me is just you know, on it in reality and as it played out, it was it was a fine show for what it was. It was different, and there were things we'll talk about. I'm sure here momentarily, but yeah, I guess my my expectation my expectations going in being tempered did not leave me feeling ill about it as we chat about it now. Yeah. Uh, okay. So my first thing, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk eye for an eye because I had my little mini rant last week. Um, but, but to, to talk about it in a bigger picture, it was the booking last night that bothered me at, in two matches specifically. Um, and, and eye for an eye is one of them. 
Um, Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio, as we said last week, had a really good match. And that was kind of one of the things we talked about in the preview was that these two are absolutely uh, able to have a really, really good match. And they've had a good, you know, however you feel about the whole pushing his eye into the steps thing that started it. Um, they've had a good story between them. There's been a, an issue at hand. You know, you wanted to see a grudge match. Um, and I thought they worked it pretty well. I saw some complaints on Twitter that they were doing head scissors and arm bars. And, and it's still a wrestling match, you know, but Ray attacking right from the start, from behind. I thought there was good intensity throughout the match. I thought they had a great match. And then they got to go ruin it with this stupid, you know, and they don't even really pay it off. Like they pr promise you're going to see somebody's eye hang out. Um, and not that I wanted to see that, but then why even go there if you're not even going to do a CGI thing? Or um, I'll admit with Ray, um, I knew we were probably wrong on our pick of Ray as soon as he came out because he had that patch over the right eye on the mask. Uh, now he did later pull it off, which maybe I, then I started to think maybe we were going to be okay. <laughs> but my first thought when I saw that patch on the right eye and not a, on the left eye was, or cover over it was, okay that's where the prosthetic eye is or whatever. And it's going to, you know, come out of his head at some point, um, which uh, there was a little glimpse of a white ball in his finger when they showed a quick glance um, before they went and had to show a Seth Rollins puking, which I never need to see again. Um, I was like, Oh gee, Seth, you're such an evil guy that you wanted to poke his eyeball out of his head. And now you actually did it. And it made you want to puke. Um, just the booking on that bothered me and, and Oscar, um, Sasha Banks. Um, so the booking in those two matches, again, Oscar and Sasha Banks had a banger of a match, an absolutely great match. And they overbooked the finish to the point that you and I, when we first hopped on here, we're both kind of like, how do we score that for our victims? Because it was this weird, I mean, we're wrong either way, I guess, but <laughs> because either Bailey just became a referee. Cause all you have to do is put a shirt on and you become a referee. Um, no, <laughs> or, you know, I guess it's a no contest because th it was the one time where I found myself actually wanting an authority figure. Um, you know, I think that's been overdone a lot of times, although I think NXT does it really well with William Regal, where he only shows up kind of as necessary and isn't, um, you know, overbearing on the whole show and in every segment um, like we've seen with some others. But it was one where I was like, gosh, there's nobody to even come out and be like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Um, apparently, there's also no other referee in the building who could run out and say, no, I'm the referee. I'm going to, you know, this match and, is going to continue. And that's the weird part about it, because right. that's been such a long, ongoing thing that's been consistent. Uh, and, and I can't remember specifically in, in this no fans era or this pandemic era of, of there not being officials coming out to break things up. But I, there has to have been that. Right. So why why then and not now? Right. Yeah. And that was my thought. You know, I guess if they if they throw a line in somewhere tonight on Raw and say, you know, because of the social distance requirements, all the other referees were, you know, sequestered outside of the building. OK, I you know, then I would I would take it because I can at least you, you tried to cover up why that didn't happen, because, yeah, it was the whole time. Like, really? Nobody? There's nobody. OK. Um, so I think that was my thing is is you had two really strong matches. Um, that I've seen get really low star ratings, but I think it's all based around the finish. Um, because if you just watch them from start, you know, the start of the match until two minutes before the tomfoolery begins, sorry, no, no uh, pun intended there, but um, 
they were they were really good matches. And then they just get screwed up by finishes. Um, so that was that was my first thing. Booking bothered me. Sure. Yeah. Well, my second thing uh, goes kind of on the opposite side of that tempered expectations uh, statement I made earlier. It's just we we missed two matches that were advertised, and um, you know, but you and I both missed on SmackDown that they had moved the bar fight from the show. So we both were watching this, going, "When is this happening?" Uh, and then we find out after the fact that it wasn't or didn't happen, or that it's booked for SmackDown. Okay, I'll, I'll pause there. I'll come back to that. Second thing was the United States title match. Uh, and I don't know if you caught this, but when Tom Phillips was talking about how Apollo wasn't medically cleared, like right at the end when MVP's music started, like Byron Saxon jumped in and was like, oh, it's uh, it's it's this injury. And, I, and I'm forgetting it right now, but it, he, he was, it was almost like someone jumped in his ear and said, make sure you say what it is. I think it was like a, like a like a lumbar strain or some something in the lower back. Something from the full Nelson, yeah. Right. So bulging like, disc or something, maybe. Bul- yeah, yeah, bulging disc. There you go. So it's almost like they had to like some like whoever was in the headset, Bruce Pritchard, Vince, whomever, like said, make sure you say what it is so that no one like presumes it's the coronavirus. Right. That that was that was the vibe that I felt because it just seemed so like sudden and rushed and just like uh reactive, not proactive. Um so, so with the, with those two things being said, I don't know what type of recording schedule they're on. I believe it's staggered. I know that obviously Florida, where they're recording, is a hot spot for this pandemic right now, and they have to be mindful. And I don't know all of the different moving parts that they're trying to deal with as all of this comes together. That being said, you would think that they would have enough time to either promote better on their TV or their social media and or make adjustments that so that fans know. I mean, I can't say there was one specific match I was tuning in last night and this morning to see with this, but I'm sure there are people who do that, right? So imagine if you're young and Apollo Crews is like, you're like, he's up and comer. I love him. He's awesome. And then you tune in and you find out, you're like, oh, you put the damper on that. So um, yeah, again, it would have been a longer show. It would have been longer than the two hours and 30 minutes that it was if we had had those matches, maybe, or other matches get cut short. So just the idea that they're, I don't know, I don't know if the right word is thoughtful, but just I feel like they're, they're being less thoughtful um, in, in, in how they're promoting when they're, this is a time where I think thoughtfulness is important. And again, save for like something that truly is an urgent issue. Um, and I don't know if that's the case here with uh, with Apollo and or Jeff Hardy or Sheamus. It doesn't appear to be on the surface. Uh, just respect your fans a little bit more. Uh, agreed. And um, just to, to piggyback off of that, you know, especially with the U.S. title thing, um, you know, the bar fight, you want to move it to SmackDown, pop a rating, I guess. I don't think it's really going to pop a rating. But uh, I know they somewhere I had read that was kind of why they did the Randy Orton and Big Show uh, match going on on Raw instead of at the pay-per-view was to to help boost that rating because Raw's ratings have been just abysmal lately. Um, I, I'll be honest, I don't know that Randy Orton and Big Show is really what's going to pop a, a Raw rating. Um, I don't know that Jeff Hardy and Sheamus in a bar fight is what's going to do it on SmackDown either. But you're trying something. I get it. That's fine. Um, but the U.S. title match, like, I saw most of the kickoff show. It was kind of background noise. So if they said anything about it, I missed it. Um, I don't think they did. Uh, they didn't necessarily preview it either because um, it certainly wasn't necessarily a featured match. It wasn't one of the top, you know, four or five matches even on the card probably. But, um, yeah, I agree. And then, and then the like, 
the whole MVP Bobby Lashley promo was just kind of like, oh, we have to fill a little bit of time. And now MVP claims he's still the champion, even though he's been walking around with that belt for three weeks. And I don't know. It was all weird. Um, it, yeah. It, it And the, the injury, as far as I know, is storyline. So if you were never going to give this match in the first place, if really that was what, what it was, what? <laughs> like, why even do that? Which I will admit makes me wonder, was he waiting on a test result or something like that? And they just don't want to say it. So of course they say it's a bulging disc because they, they won't admit anything, which is a whole different story. We could go off on a tangent on. Yeah. Uh, my number two um, is a positive. So there we go. Here we come with a, uh, oh, you had a positive for your first one too, that it was a good tight show. Uh, my positive Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, I love these two both as wrestlers and both. I like this tag team a lot. I'd love to see them get a name too now. Um, they're starting to gel together, which I mean, Cesaro, unfortunately for him is so damn good. Excuse my French. I, won't, I don't think we'll get an explicit for that, but, uh, as a tag team wrestler and, and can gel with just about anybody. I mean, the guy's won tag titles throughout his career. Um, but in WWE, he's won them with, uh, Tyson kid. Um, he certainly, he and Sheamus had a good run, uh, as the bar and now he and Shinsuke. Um, I love that they're giving them a little more serious edge because I think Cesaro and, and Nakamura have both been booked pretty terribly in the past. Uh, so I liked that they were, and good Lord, that finish of that match, Kofi Kingston needs hazard pay for taking that bump, um, a power bomb off the second rope through two tables to the floor with nothing underneath that floor. I mean, it wasn't like he went through the announcer's desk and they could put a little padding under there for him or anything like they did with uh, Mankind jumping off the cell years ago, uh, which you have to so you don't kill the guy. I mean, Kofi could have gotten seriously, seriously hurt on that. Um, I hope he's okay. I haven't seen anything that says he's not. Um, but man, that, that really gave Cesaro and Nakamura an edge and, and I'm looking forward to them as tag champs. I hope it's not a short reign. Uh, the tag division, in, especially on SmackDown could use a little, um, beefing up and Cesaro and Nakamura are a great, um, uh, great team to do that with. Uh, so I, I was thrilled that they won the titles. They would have been my pick had we known that match was happening when we recorded last week, uh, I'd like to see them, though, in the rematch, make sure they get a pinfall, because anytime you win a title by putting somebody through a table, it's a little wonky. Um, but I, I have a sneaky hunch that'll happen probably even as, as soon as this Friday. Um, so that that was my number two. I was really, really happy with Cesaro and Nakamura. Did you see the spot in that match where Kofi hit the ropes when Cesaro and Big E were on that same corner post and Kofi's momentum almost like shot Big E off? I don't know if I, like, I thought, like, had they gone that route, nah, obviously didn't, but I thought that could have been interesting. And I don't think you ever break up the New Day um, unless they get drafted in different brands, right? Um, you're never going to have, I think, one turn on the other or vice versa. Uh, but that would have been an interesting way if that would have been the reason that they lost the titles. Kofi's inadvertent slingshotting of Biggie off the post into through the tables. I get, yeah. you know I, you know I like Biggie and I think he deserves a singles run. So absolutely. Sorry, sorry for going there and bringing that to the forefront. <laughs> you know they had one too where Biggie, uh, what he speared. I can't remember if it was Cesaro or Nakamura. I think Cesaro, like through the ropes, he dove through the ropes and speared him. And at least from the angle they shot it, it looked like they missed the table by about that much. Um, it probably was a little bit more. The angle probably made it look closer, which is is great shooting. Um, even if by, even if by accident. Um, 
yeah, there were a couple near misses on that. So, um, yeah, I I love that match. That was a great way to start the show, and I was very happy with the finish. Yeah, I, that that actually might have been my favorite match of the night. Again, I, acknowledging, I think we talked about it before we started recording. I didn't watch Oscar Bailey or Oscar Sasha, excuse me, uh, in full, but you said that was pretty solid in the ring too. It so. was. It would be right up there. Uh, well, so I'm going to close uh, and just say uh, the swamp fight was <laughs> was something. Uh, it, take it or leave it. Uh, and again, if you walked into that match with um, thinking you were going to get any more or less than what you got, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you've been watching the product lately when it comes to cinematic matches. That is, this is this type of issue and this uh, the the backstory between these two lends itself pretty perfectly to what I think they did uh, with that match. Um, it was weird. It was creepy. It was hokey. And I think all that's okay. Um, so I think it gets us to where I said I thought we would go for SummerSlam uh, in that the Fiend comes and, and, and reckons himself for a shot at the Universal Championship. Uh, if 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 Braun Strowman's even alive, so I know I know you like I know you like action figures like I do as well. There was that zombies series I think two three years ago now. There was yeah. a Braun Strowman zombie if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, I was, yeah. when he came out of the swamp a couple times, I thought, oh, it's, he's a zombie now. So <laughs> anyway, no, I I liked it for what it was. Um, it was different. I thought the 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 the, the snake and. The, Alexa Bliss, uh, Sister Abigail, blending or meshing, if you will, if if you, if I'm, maybe that's my analogy only. Um, The guy getting on fire, like, well, okay, hello, Um, where was Kane at? Uh, (laughs) Just every, every, everything there. Um, But the way it closed with, uh, with the fiend emerging from the water, and then the cackle, and then the let me in, that was cool. Yeah, the swamp match was my uh, my third thing as well. Um, I, I saw some people online saying, so is Alexa Bliss sister Abigail? And it's like, hello, no. Um, like, he, that's Bray playing with Braun, you know, because the minute she started talking, I went, that's Alexa. Um, and, and kudos to them for calling back to that from the mixed match challenge. Um, what, two years ago now, uh, you know, they really kind of played up they played it subtly, but yet, you know, Braun having a crush on Alexa and all of that um, to the point that some websites even are still reporting that the Braun and Alexa are a couple. Um, they're not. <laughs> and in fact, follow Alexa on social media and you'll see that I can't remember who she's dating some singer that I've never heard of, um, but um, apparently he's famous. Um, good for her. But yeah, I mean, so so kudos to them for for having that callback. I, the guy getting catching on fire, his running around after he caught on fire was like fifties movie B level bad. Um, I mean, just ah, that was terrible. Um, I saw somebody, I think it was our friend Eric um, on on a message board that we're or a Facebook group that we're a part of, said he thought that was their worst cinematic match yet. Um, I don't know if one counts the Street Profits and, and Viking Raiders as a cinematic match since there was no finish after the Trash Monster, um, but it definitely wasn't that bad. Um, it, I would put it above that if we're counting that as a cinematic match. Um, I, you know, I agree with you. I think it was what it was. It was what I expected. In some ways, I think the finish that you and I both kind of 
we had, we had different avenues of how we were getting there, but I think kind of both things almost happened. Um, you know, Braun kind of seemed to win the match for a minute. And then Bray, you know, my, my belief on Braun winning the match, which obviously I was wrong on, we'll talk about the pickums here in just a minute, but um, was that Braun would win and, and Bray would realize the only way he was going to defeat Braun was to become the fiend again. Um, and, and that kind of happened in the end. You know, we're calling it a Bray Wyatt win. That's what WWE.com is calling it. Um, I mean, he was the one left standing at the end of it. So, and there's no bell in a swamp fight, to our knowledge. So, um, I think you got to go with that. Um, it, yeah, it was what it was. It set up exactly what you and I both figured was coming for SummerSlam. Um, I think it'll be a good match um, for them. You know, are they ever going to be compared to, are Bray and, and Braun ever going to be compared to Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair? No. Um, but not everybody needs to be. Um, so granted it is a top title. Um, I expect the fiend to win the title at SummerSlam. There's my pick already before we even do the, the head to head for SummerSlam. But, uh, otherwise I don't know what the point of this whole thing's been. If you just have Braun vanquish him in the end and beat every, then I, then I think you've, I hate to use the word buried because I think it gets used too much, but you know, then w what have you done to the fiend at that point? Um, so anyways, that's a whole different topic for head to head when we get to SummerSlam here in a month. Um, so I, I agree with you, though. It was a nice tight show. Um, problems aside, I thought I, ma I made this comment on that group that we're in. The in-ring work last night I thought was at least good to at times great. Uh, there was nothing wrong with the in-ring stuff. Any of my complaints are, are booking related. Um, and... I'm kind of tired of cinematic matches, but I know we're just going to keep getting them until we can have fans back. And let's be honest in Florida, I don't see that happening uh, anytime real soon outside of the, uh, the NXT crowd that they're able to have. Um, I will say, so uh, my wife was working on some homework. Uh, she's in, uh, doing some more education and was working on that. And so instead of watching it downstairs, I actually was watching it upstairs because uh, she was just working away on the computer and she said, I'll oh, just watch it up here. Okay, fine. Um, and the eye for an eye match came on <laughs> and she heard them say the only way to win this match, the end of the ring announcer say the only way to win this match is to remove your opponent's eye from its socket or however he said it. <laughs> and she went, what the, <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is what I watched here. Uh, well, and, and so with the, with the, I, I agree with you that, that the in the ring stuff was good to better than good. I don't think we touched great, which is okay. But you have to wonder who are they? Who are they looking to capture as an audience in 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 what they're providing to consumers of their product right now? If you use your TV as your platform to have inconclusive finishes, then you should be using your pay per views or your big shows as the place where things are resolved. And last night there was a lot of unresolved stuff. Let's so we can park that and come back to it. And I'm sure that we will. And I know we're getting off the three big things, but I just wanted to, I wanted to respond to that because I think that's an important thing just yeah. to note, right? Like you could really be, you, the WWE could really be setting itself apart right now by having a vision, a mission, a focus, whatever you want to label it. And they and they don't ish. So no. last last night to me was a 
a jacked up Raw or SmackDown that's leading to SummerSlam. They they needed you know because they want to do monthly pay per views, which um, you know who's who's buying them for forty bucks or fifty bucks or whatever they are on pay per view anymore. Um, I I know they're still available or they used to be anyways. I guess I don't know for sure. I don't have cable. I have Hulu. Um, but um, you know anybody who's paying that is just insane because for 10 bucks a month, you get every show. Um, and, you know, maybe that's going to change. That's a whole other topic for another day. There's a lot of rumors, but um, at least they're not doing it right now in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I didn't put a banner up, but our head-to-head um, just got shot to crap because two of the matches didn't happen. But um, of the five matches that did happen, again, considering the Banks and uh, Asuka match as a no contest and giving uh, Bray Wyatt the win in the Swamp fight, uh, because those are just the best answers we can come up with to what happened last night. Uh, Tom went three and two, uh, getting Bray Wyatt, Bailey, and Drew McIntyre, right? Neither one of us touched on that match. Um, I, I, I thought it was fine. Uh, I, I think the problem in some of those title matches last night, we touched on it in the preview. I never felt like Nikki Cross had a chance. I never felt like Dolph Ziggler, even with extreme rules only for him, had a chance. So, um so you had those those three right. Uh, I had two and three because I had Bailey and McIntyre, uh, but I had Strowman, uh, which for a moment when they put up the credits with Strowman on the dock, I went, ah, yes, I got him. And then I got screwed by the fiend. Uh, so, uh, so that puts us at Tom uh, eight and four and myself at five and seven. So a three match lead uh, for you. Heading into SummerSlam, uh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, so we really need to start thinking. Not that I want to like, while I have a three match lead, propose this, but do we want to start clean in a month? Because we've done this for two months now and it's been going strong. Do we want to start clean and put something on the line, uh, or do we finish this year or this quarter? I mean, technically, if you look at it, July, August, September is the current quarter of the of the calendar year. Finish this quarter and start. I don't know. Lots of options. So, um, so I'm grateful, grateful to be in the lead still and look to continue it no matter which direction or how we incentivize it. One thing I do want to ask before we transition to our next topic is yeah. that if we're recording obviously before anything for TV has um, either aired or been taped for this week. Um, if you had to guess about anything related to the SummerSlam card right now, uh, what would you say? I think obviously the Fiend and Strowman. We've been talking about that. I think uh, WWE title. I think will be Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. Um, that seems to be the big match that they can build to. I I don't I don't know that you can get Brock Lesnar into the country. Although somehow AEW got Evil Uno and Stu Grayson in, and they live in Canada, I believe, um, which is why they weren't on shows there for a little while. Um, I know there's an awful lot of talk about travel though between Canada and the U.S. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays, in fact, can't even play in their their home um, stadium this season because they don't want people coming back and forth from the U S so much. Um, we are that country. Now you can only get into like 20 countries. If you have a U.S. passport right now, yay us. Anyways, this isn't a political podcast, um, but, um, but I don't think you waste Brock Lesnar appearances. You know, he's only got so many dates in his contract from what everybody says. I don't think you waste them outside of WrestleMania when you needed to get the belt off of him. Um, 
which I think was the plan regardless. Had it been in Tampa, it would have been, you know, happening anyways. But um, I don't think you waste it on show that you can't sell a whole lot of tickets to. Um, so I don't see Brock coming back for SummerSlam for that. So Drew, um, Drew and Randy, uh, if I had to go women's titles, I would be willing to say, and I, I, I'd rather them slow build this, but Asuka, Shayna Baszler, um, probably on the Raw side. And then um, the SmackDown side, I still think we're headed towards Bailey and Sasha. Um, I thought there would have been a little more movement on that last night, but I don't know who else on the SmackDown side. I mean, are you going to go Bailey, Lacey Evans? Eh, that doesn't scream SummerSlam to me. Um, now, Naomi would be a great opponent for her. You know, I know there was a, a hashtag trending last weekend about Naomi deserves more. Um, and she does. She's way better than than they book her. But um, those would be the top four that I would see. I, I don't think you're going to see anybody like Triple H or anything like that show up at SummerSlam. What do you what do you think about SummerSlam? Yeah, no, the two title matches that you talked about were kind of where I was mentally heading. Uh, it's going to be interesting because they've been really focusing on the whole legend killer with the Randy Orton piece. So um, if they didn't go with him versus Drew, I don't know who would challenge Drew, but I think that there's a possibility they could pull in a little legend from the archives, for lack of a better term. Uh, but but I don't know who that would be either. Just don't so, let it be Randy Orton and Ric Flair, please. No. <laughs> right, no, for sure. Uh, and yeah, I hadn't given much thought to the women's title matches. Uh, I have to think that um, Apollo Crews MVP double title ladder makes a lot of sense. Um, we'll see, though. Um, and then I, I hope AJ Styles gets something. Uh, that, that's just the weird part about this. Like with such such a limited card and such tight shows, um, again, that's the, that's that's the opposite of what we were getting before. We were getting a lot of guys, a lot of ladies on a given big show, and they were going four hours. Now they're going, you know, one third less than that at least, and you're missing or losing some of that. So I know we're gonna come back in at least three weeks from now, give or take. And we'll preview SummerSlam, so it'll be fun to see how that shapes up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it will be. It'll be interesting to see. I was going to say AJ, Matt Riddle, but yet the way SmackDown ended, probably Matt Riddle, Baron Corbin. Um, so so we'll see. Maybe AJ gets Daniel Bryan again or something. That you know, I'm okay with that. You can run that match every week. It'd be fine with me. Um, or maybe they'll do something totally different with AJ. Who knows? Well, let us uh, take a... Hard left, hard right. I don't know which direction this is, but we're going to uh, turn away from the current product and do something we haven't done yet on this show, um, at least in its um, in its resurgence here over the last 10 episodes. Uh, I don't remember the whole lot of this even in our first run back six years ago either. Uh, we're going to do a little retro review, um, and this time around, we're looking at In Your House 2, which took place on July 23rd, 1995 and the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it was obviously the second in your house. First one had been May of that year, then they had King of the Ring, um, which we'll talk about, I think, as we get into some of these matches uh, in June, and then then this pay-per-view, uh, when they started going monthly now here with the in your houses. Uh, looks like, according to the, the uh, stats I have here online, uh, attendance was 6,482 people, so... I don't know if that's a sellout in Nashville. I think they might've called it a sellout um, on the pay-per-view. I don't remember, but um, so not a huge place, 
But, but then uh, you looked tiny on TV. Yeah, I did definitely looked small. Um, so that may very well have been a sellout or, or near sellout. Um, but, you know, they were doing a two-hour pay-per-view, so you probably don't want to, if it's only going to be a shorter show like that, um, you don't necessarily want to book that in huge arenas. And in 1995, I don't think they were really doing, they weren't doing stadium shows, certainly, in 95. Um, they were coming out of their early 90s hokey, but still in pretty hokey land, um, as, if, as we'll talk here in the mid-90s, uh, headed towards the Attitude Era, but not anywhere even close to it yet, although a number of people on this show uh, will be huge players when the Attitude Era comes around. Um, but it starts off with what might be the worst country music song ever um, as a theme song. Um, some of that promo stuff on this show, holy smokes. But I, the, the the awful theme song leads into Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler looking stupid. Um, <laughs> it's the only word I can give. Um, just every country, southern... Um, stereotype thing they could fit into their open um they did including uh jerry lawler wearing a hat with a crown on it um i, I, I did the open do anything for you tom did it make you really excited to watch the show uh originally no and now no but i kind of <laughs> knew what to expect ironically right. now uh when i was doing the rewatch uh of this over the last couple of days i had it on TV versus a mobile device or a computer. And my wife happened to walk in the room when Double J sings, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. And she goes, you're watching country? And I go, <laughs> no, not really. She goes, that's what it sounds like. And I didn't even bother to try to start to unpack and explain that. But that was fun. Well, it's good to know we both had those moments with our wives last week while preparing for this show. Um, <laughs> Um, so let's just, let's go into the matches. Uh, we'll just go one by one through, um, the first match was the roadie, uh, who we later will know as road dog, Jesse James or road dog, um, taking on the one, two, three kid, uh, the roadie they had, they showed the video of him and Jarrett attacking one, two, three kid and putting him out with a rib injury. And it looked like about the weakest hit to the ribs ever. Um, it really didn't look like anything much. Well, it was a neck injury, so it, it was oh, actually it was a neck. Yeah, so I guess this that's right. That's there was right. a there was a tag match for this this these two and Razor and Jeff Jarrett that was supposed to be at In Your House One. It became a handicap match because, according to what I remember reading or hearing, one to three kids actually had a broken neck. So the fact that he had a broken neck sometime in April May and was able to be back in the ring by July, pretty darn impressive. And, and we'll talk about how this match ends here in a minute, I'm sure, um, and, and maybe even more impressive, stupid something uh, <laughs> when you get to that. Um, so I do have Dave Meltzer's uh, star ratings. I feel a little bit like Conrad Thompson here, but I don't I don't have his write-up um, or anything like that. I'm not a subscriber. So, uh, But I did find uh, on ProFightDB.com, they've got uh, the star ratings for this. So it went uh, 7 minutes, 26 seconds, and uh, Meltzer gave it three and a quarter stars. Um, I thought it was a good match. I thought it was a good, you know, um, I thought it was good to keep the road roadie. I keep wanting to call him the road dog. Uh, roadie, you know, looking strong as a competitor on his own. Um, I thought it was good that it wasn't, there wasn't some cheap Jeff Jarrett interference um, finish. You know, they certainly were, were, uh, what's the word I want? 
foreshadowing, there's the word I want, uh, you know, problems between Jarrett and Rhodey that'll come down the road uh, with Jarrett not really paying attention uh, to the TV, which was that the smallest TV monitor ever that you saw in the locker room? Um, it's amazing how technology, years. yeah, yeah. Things have changed. Um, but Rhodey wins the match with a, not totally cleanly, but landed pile driver off the second rope, which is nuts. Um, you know, we haven't seen that much in wrestling. Um, I, I can't ever think of somebody using that as a finish regularly, although it's, it could look really cool. He kind of lands on his feet and then falls back. Um, but I can't really fault him for that because you're trying to protect a, if one, two, three kid really had had a broken neck back in the spring, you're trying to protect the guy, regardless of whether he did or didn't, you're trying to protect the guy. Um, and you're, you're dropping him with a pile driver off the second rope. Um, kind of a crazy finish to me. Um, but definitely definitive. Uh, no question that uh, it wasn't a cheap win for Rhodey here. Yeah, no, it really good match. Uh, that's a, a star rating seems high. Not that it was not a good match. It just right. It was high. good. I didn't think it was three and a quarter. Yeah. Um, rewatching this reminded me how much I enjoyed the one, two, three kid quite a bit, like very, very um, for the time he, he was very unique and, 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 and his moveset. Uh, the kicks and uh, and the quickness that wasn't something that you saw a lot back in in '95. I also remember how much I thought the swagger of the roadie was mm -hmm. cool. Like he had some swagger, right? So when he would do an offensive move and he'd do like a head bobber, which well, we would we would eventually see it all with with the road dog. Uh, but again, the the precursor to that being on display here that's that's who he is. That's his personality. So. Yeah, there were a couple of times he did little like shimmies and things where I was like, that's total road dog right there. I mean, you know, he just like you said, he really saw it blossom um, a couple of years later uh, when he he and Billy Gunn end up, uh, who we'll see later in the show, um, he and Billy Gunn end up as the, as the outlaws. Didn't and didn't he go, oh, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. I'm going to jump ahead here. He was the roadie and then he will talk about what happens. Did he become like the real double j next was that yeah he was the real thing? double j jesse james jesse james okay and then and he then, became then he became the road dog yeah which okay it, it it's all a little fuzzy to me back then um but you know there was a short while where he and billy gunn who was rockabilly for a, a very short while with the honky tonk man wow that could be a whole nother topic um and you said something about the gimmicks before we started, so I think you were jumping the jumping the gun. Yeah, the smoking yeah, they, gun. The the smoking guns, mm -hmm. in fact, yes, yeah. There there are plenty of gimmicks here on this show too, um, as, as we'll talk about. Uh, especially when we get to the lumberjacks. Remind me, I got some things to say about lumberjacks. Um, but um, yeah, good opener. Like uh, you and I both agree, I, three and a quarter feels. Um, you know, maybe it was in the Tokyo Dome. I don't know. That's that's where. They, so like those matches. So, um, sorry. Now I sound like Bruce Pritchard. Um, been on a mission versus Razor Ramon and Savio Vega. So, um, Mabel is coming off winning King of the Ring. Um, I would say one of the more unlikely King of the Ring winners ever in history. Um, but Mabel, um, obviously they're on their way to a, a big push for him or, or trying to do a big push with him. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about him here later in the show as well. Uh, he had beaten Savio though in the finals the month before um, Razor and Savio have been friends. Um, Savio is just, just newly in here in WWF and right. Razor is 
is his friend. Um, in fact, I think Savio debuted at the first in your house, yeah. helping Razor. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, so you are. So Savio debuts at the first in your house, makes it to the finals of the King of the Ring, which if I had to list all of the King of the Ring finals participants, I probably would have forgotten Savio Vega. Um, although now I, re you know, the minute I saw it, I was like, oh, that's right. That happened. Um, but uh, men on a mission. So this one went uh, 10 minutes and nine seconds, a little long for me. Um, and it got two and three quarter stars. Again, I think Dave was maybe a little um, generous here. Men on a mission were a great gimmick. Uh, they were they were fun as baby faces. Mabel was okay as a heel. He got much, I liked him a lot better as Viscera um, and Big Daddy V in later years. Um, but uh, this tag match didn't do a whole lot for me. I liked the tag match. I thought it was I thought it was good, and that's probably uh, part and parcel because I have a high affinity for Razor Ramon. So I've always been a Razor Ramon fan. Uh, Scott Hall fan, uh, but really more so Razor Ramon. Uh, and this this match and watching everything here just made me just wonder and question because less than a year from now, you've got Razor Ramon who is in WCW and as Scott Hall, obviously. And uh, a year for less than a year from when this show aired, you have the birth of the NWO. So when you think about that, when you put that in context of how much things can change in a year, um, that just pause on that for a moment. Uh, it also made me go, wow. So they clearly had Razor Ramon pegged as kind of like that 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 gatekeeper. So whoever was going to eventually challenge for the world title, if it wasn't Razor Ramon, um, and I don't remember him challenging much after much after he had the feud with Bret Hart in early '93 when he fought when he because he turned babyface shortly thereafter. Um, he was the guy that the, the, the upcoming challenger kind of had to get through. So when when Mabel pins him to win this match, that was surprising. Well, I don't I don't remember it being surprising 25 years ago when I watched it for the first time, um, but it was surprising now. Uh, just in, but but you go oh, okay because because again foreshadowing, Mabel wins King of the Ring becomes King Mabel. They had turned heel. I think he had turned heel a month or two prior. Yeah. So the the the. The, the tracks were being laid for this train um, over time. So um, I don't know that it would have done any harm to have Savio Vega take the pinfall. I mean, it would have definitely put Mabel a notch above him, but I don't know that your marketing or your, your long-term plans for Savio Vega would have helped stretch that of what you would have done with Razor Ramon in both the marketing and the in-ring. And But again, the Razor Ramon story, as you move forward from here, which we won't today, um, it's rocky, and which probably causes him as one of the factors in why he chooses to leave about nine months later. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think this also might have been when he was having uh, quite a bit of, of issues uh, with personal demons and those sorts of things. Uh, I, I I think too maybe the thought might have been Razor could could eat a pin, and it probably doesn't hurt Razor. Savio was brand new in, and and maybe they still had hopes for him being more than he ever became. Um, I don't know. But, um, I mean, they pushed him all the way to the finals of the King of the Ring a month before. Um, so maybe they wanted to protect Savio, as weird as that sounds now, 25 years later, to say protect Savio over Razor. Um, that might have been it. And I also wonder if it was, you know, we know that we're headed towards um, Mabel challenging Diesel at SummerSlam. Um, I know I'm jumping ahead both in this show and 
in uh, WWF land, uh, but getting Mabel a win over somebody like Razor on his way to that makes some makes some sense. Like you said, the the train tracks are being laid for Mabel, no question. Um, they're trying to to make him something. Fun story about my affinity for Razor Ramon. Uh, so I thought we talked last week, and and it's in between this show and SummerSlam. The second ever house show I went to was in the in Auburn Hills, Michigan, Palace of Auburn Hills, which actually was recently imploded where the Pistons had played for a number of years um, and had concerts and just a big venue on the east side of the state in Michigan. Um, in that same kind of window of time, um, I think following In Your House 4, there was uh, bra taping in my hometown. And for the on sale for that, uh, they had sent Razor Ramon to a local I'm going to call it a record store, but it was probably more CDs back then. And we went and we bought tickets on like a random, I'm going to call it a Tuesday afternoon after school, but he was signing autographs too. So the fact that like 25 year old ago, me, like. Who was not 25 years old for the record. Yeah, it was not 25 years old, but just like to think that I was in that space and like, I wasn't like, I like I always kind of had this sense of like, like, Star being starstruck, and I don't remember that with Razor Ramon, but I also don't feel like I, I maximized the chance to meet him. Like we were with we were with my friend and his mom, and his mom was one of those people that would always have a camera. So the fact that like I don't have a photo of fifteen year old me, fourteen year old me, whatever it was, with Razor Ramon, kind of is a bummer. But he was a cool guy. I mean, he was totally low key. He was not. A, he wasn't in gimmick by any means. He was dressed like a normal person. <laughs> very cool. Very good. Do you still have the autograph? I know. No. No, that's gone. No. All right. Well, moving on from. I'm sorry, I just applause. Had yeah. I known nostalgia was going to be so big, I probably would have saved a lot more stuff that I had 25 years ago than I do than I do now. And I and I kick myself almost weekly. So. Yeah, I I, I wish I still had my LJNs. I have one, uh, which was not mine as a child. I bought it four years ago. Um, <laughs> so my Ricky Steamboat is the only one I have, not on card someday when I'm rich. Um, but anyways, figures for another podcast another time. Uh, then we move into With My Baby Tonight live. Double J, Jeff Jarrett makes his singing or Millie Vanilli debut here. Um, of course, we'll later find out down the road that it's actually the roadie uh, who was singing this song. Uh, but, uh, you know, Jarrett is, Jarrett's never been somebody that I've been huge on, but I look back and then watching this uh, as a heel, he was, he had heat at this point. Um, he's, he's in his third reign, <clears throat> I believe. Um, he is in his third reign as Intercontinental Champion. We'll talk about that in a minute here when we get to the title match uh, that he has later in the show. But he is in his third reign as, as Intercontinental Champion, um, and he is, quite hot um as far as heat goes for a heel um here the fans but the fans almost seem to be okay with him um I, I i thought this was was fun i had forgotten that this was on this show until i started watching it um and the minute it was in nashville i went oh i wonder if this is where double j does is with my baby tonight and sure enough uh it was, I will freely admit that I have had that song downloaded on numerous MP3 players over the years. Um, I do like country music. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, this was fun. It, it worked for me. It was fun to, to relive it too. Um, and 
you know, I know we've talked about uh, something to wrestle with a few times, joking about doing this look back um, on the show. And every time Bruce breaks into the song, I just laugh on that podcast. So this is a catchy song. Uh, and, uh, and not, not, again, I'm not a fan of country music traditionally. Uh, and the irony again of my wife walking in the room when this was playing, you know, loudly in, in, in our deconstructed den, soon to be office, um, added for a moment of, of, of laughter. Uh, but yeah, like back, I think back to 95 when this was going on and it was just like, it was that one more thing that added to that aura of, of Jeff Jarrett. And I, and I had to go back cause I was like, gosh, he was three time champ at this point. And so like, I just pulled up that list of champions and yeah. So he had defeated Razor Ramon the SummerSlam the year prior. Um, I'm sorry. He defeated Razor Ramon at, at Royal Rumble earlier that year. Then he vacated the title after a match with Bob Spark plug Holly ended in controversy. Yep. Then he, uh, he recaptured the, uh, What's the word that we used uh, previously? Uh, uh, no, gosh. In abeyance. In abeyance. Yes, the title was held in abeyance. Thank you. Uh, that last night came up when I watched that Oscar uh, and, yeah. ba- and Bailey or a Sasha finish. Uh, the title will be will be told on Raw. It's in abeyance. Uh, <laughs> and and then uh, and then Razor wins the title in a ladder match uh, in Canada uh, right after the first in your house. Uh, and then a couple of days later on a house show, um, Jeff Jarrett wins it back. So, uh, yeah, three, three times. If I think he might have been the first ever three-time champ. Does that sound right? Uh, he was. No, look, there was look, one look, other. It looks like he's the second. Razor Ramon was yeah. the first. I was going to say I think it was Razor. Uh, yeah. And and then then more. it's it's interesting to me, and we'll talk about this uh, coming up here in a couple matches, but. Um, how how much of a deal was made about being three time champion? Yeah, uh, record and time. Now Jericho has held it nine times. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Back in the day, I think title uh, changes and title reigns were respected more or just honored more. Um, so yeah, we got off we got off the whole topic of with my baby tonight, but it, it didn't <laughs> it didn't appear to, to to be an overt lip lip syncing. Obviously, we we learned more. Right. So uh, I, I, I do do without Todd Pettengill and the whole drum thing with that guy with the drums. That was a little long in the tooth. And then poor Big Al didn't want to be on the mic at all. <laughs> no, no, he did not. I don't think he wanted to be there. Um, <laughs> yeah, Todd Pettengill to me, um, is, we're on the side here. Um, he's an acquired taste. And, and, you know, as a promo guy, a hype guy, he, he was good. Um, but sometimes some of his bits ran a little long and, and this was definitely one of them where, yeah, like you could do that one time, maybe twice and it's haha, and then move on. Like en- enough. We get it. Uh, Meltzer did not give this a star rating. So uh, we can, we can move on. Bam Bam <laughs> Bigelow, uh, is in the next match. Bam Bam uh, fairly recently out of the million dollar corporation uh, after his loss to Lawrence Taylor back at WrestleMania 11. Um, they're right. Yes. WrestleMania 11. That's right. Um, so he's staying on Henry Godwin, who's kind of, even though DiBiase wasn't with him, he's kind of doing a tryout for the million dollar corporation. Uh, they're seeing if he's worthwhile, which of course eventually, uh, doesn't pan out because Henry O. Godwin does not belong in the million dollar corporation. That just doesn't make any sense. 
Um, and he ends up becoming a baby face down the road. But this goes five minutes, 33 seconds. Meltzer hated it. Uh, three quarters of a star is all he gave it. I, I love Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, Bigelow is a guy who I, I, I don't know what kept him from being the level of star and the level um, world champ level that I, I really thought he could be um, a big guy who could move like that back then was, was really uh, rare. You know, now we've got guys like Keith Lee and, and others, um, even Ace Romero, AC Romero, I guess is what he's going by now in impact, but um, guys who are, are really agile for their size. Um, we didn't see as much of that back then. We, you know, we hadn't met, well, we had met Yokozuna because he's going to be on the card here in a little bit. Um, Yoko, earlier had been a, a big guy that was that agile too, but um, I love Bam Bam Bigelow. So I enjoyed this match. Um, but I, you know, was it a barn burner? No, it was five minutes, 33 seconds. Bam Bam gets the win. Um, I, the backdrop se sequence right at the beginning where they just kind of kept hitting each other with backdrops or not backdrops, back suplexes, um, backdrop suplexes, whatever you want to call it was a little weird because they weren't, Saito suplexes by any means. They weren't folding anybody up. They were just kind of dropping each other and like, okay, this is what we're going to do to start. That was a little weird. Um, but I, this match was fine for me. I, you know, five minutes is all probably all it needed. Um, Henry Godwin certainly was never a top rung guy. Um, I, it was fine. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I, it, it made me think of Bam Bam Bigelow and ECW because that's obviously where I think he uh, had reached his highest level of potential. Uh, but again, that was, uh, that is what Paul Heyman is known for. He takes the, 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 the diamond and he really polishes it up or the gem, if you will, maybe everyone's not a diamond, but he takes, takes you as a gem and a polished gem and he puts you in the best light. So you look very attractive. Um, yeah. And, and again, I think it's less than five months from here. You got Henry Godwin in a slop match or the, the pig pen match with Triple H at the end of the year within your house. So yeah, um, evil pig farmer. <laughs> there you go, there's those gimmicks again. Right, right. And and eventually his uh, cousin, I think it is, will join him, uh, Phineas I. Godwin, hog and pig, yes. Oh boy, 90s WWF. Um, we move on to the Intercontinental title match. Jeff Jarrett in his third reign defense against Shawn Michaels. Uh, Fairly newly a baby face after WrestleMania, um, after he lost to Diesel, um, and his his ongoing issue with Sid, uh, which rears its head uh, in the main event as well. Uh, this was easily the best match on the show as far as in ring stuff goes for me. Uh, Meltzer agrees; he gave it four and a half stars. Um, Meltzer was just loving this show, I guess. Um, I don't know if I would have gone four and a half. Like that's five used to be perfect. I know he's given some six match six stars out now and. Um, all of that, but um, I, this was really, really good. J this is probably Jeff Jarrett at his peak in ring, as far as I'm concerned. Um, now, I didn't see a lot of his really early stuff in like Memphis and USWA. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces here and there, um, but I didn't get that show um, as a as a young person, so I didn't see a lot of that. I was aware of him, but um, didn't see a whole lot of it. Um, but yeah, him here um, in the in the shiny jacket with the double J and all of that. Um, and the fact that we haven't gotten a really good Mattel action figure of him with that yet, um, I know it's because of the or the lawsuit currently going on with him and Anthem over Impact and who owns what copyrights and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sure they'll get one ready as soon as they can because that just screams elite figure. Um, but um, 
but Jarrett, Jarrett was great here. And Michaels is, you know, probably the best in the world at this point um, in the nineties. So, you know, Bret Hart can, can make an, a, an argument for that, but he isn't on this show. So that's fine. Um, Michaels is probably the best in the company at this point title or not. So uh, this was, this was really, really good. Um, Shawn Michaels gets the win, wins the title for his third time. Um, as we've talked about, and this one went 20 minutes and one second. Um, so, uh, but it didn't feel like 20 minutes. It, it was, it was enjoyable all the way through for me. Yeah. So when you think that it's double the length of the tag match that we talked about earlier, it felt like it was more than double of that, which was good. I think they, they told more of a story than the tag match did. Um, yes. And to your point, Shawn Michaels is clearly one of the best, if not the best wrestler. Um, he for sure in the WWE at this point, WWF, uh, he's, he's just doing things that are, that are not matched. I think Bret Hart would be in that conversation. One, two, three kid. Owen Hart, if given a chance, uh, in 95. Um, but yeah, I mean, gosh, a couple of those bumps that Sean took, I think one was that backdrop over the corner post when he kind of lands sideways on the floor. You're like, oh my gosh. Um, and then and then the build in this match to like how the roadie is constantly there and he's, he's helping to get the edge. Uh, for Jarrett and and it keeps him in the match because Sean's fighting back and fighting back. Uh, and he turns the tie for him a couple of times. And then at the end, they think they have everything and he goes to hook the leg and it's not Sean's leg he hooks, it's double J's. Absolutely. Super kick city. So yeah, and, and back when the well, and of course with Sean it, it always will be back back when the super kick ended matches. Um, <laughs> but um yeah, this was this was good, and you know, again, foreshadowing for the J Double J and uh, Rhodey split down the road, um, which is I, I love long term storytelling. So anytime you can do those kinds of things, um, obviously Sean, you know, is going to go on to bigger and better here as as the year goes on, um, and towards WrestleMania 12, when obviously he has his big moment, but. Uh, Sean is the Intercontinental Champion. Always, that always worked for me. You know, obviously him as World Champion works for me as we move forward too. Um, but I thought Sean was great in the Intercontinental Title role um, as they built him. I think Sean Michaels is one of those guys. They did a really nice slow job of building um, over time, and by the time he was wrestling at WrestleMania 12, you wanted to see him win that, or at least I did. Uh, I wanted to see him win that title because he'd earned it, um, and he had that that story. Or sometimes we we get things so hot shotted now, um, where you know within a month or two somebody's getting world title shots, and you're like, I'm not invested in this guy at all. Um, I I think they did a great job over the years um, building Shawn Michaels. Um, all I, the I while, think, I'm sorry. I think it's '95. Actually, when you look at the matches he had in '95 over the course, like the big matches, that's a hard resume to top. It's a really yeah. really solid resume. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, you know, all the while knowing that he's getting harder and harder to deal with backstage, um, too. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, when he's celebrating, obviously, the first people he's hugging are Razor, Diesel, and uh, one, two, three kid. So you, you can see the click forming now, you know, oh, now the things we know. And that's how the show closes. So that's yeah. even better. Even with right. all those lumberjacks in the ring, which we'll get there in a second. Yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, you, you can, knowing what we know now, looking back on it, it's it's interesting to see those things happening. Um, the way that they did. Uh, we go to the the semi main, uh, the co main. I don't know. Before we jump there, let me just yeah. say 
So they went back and they did the celebration uh, and then they did this, did the merch plug. That t-shirt, that red t-shirt, that was the first t-shirt I ever owned of a wrestler. I was bought it? that. I bought that at the house show in Auburn Hills less than a month after this show. And I, and I laugh about it now because I like literally had no problem. I think I was like either entering my final year of middle school or I was entering high school wearing the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels t-shirt where he looks arguably like a male stripper in a red shirt with hearts <laughs> out in public. Like, I don't care now, but like you think about, you know, you're an adolescent, you're, you're concerned what your peers think. No chill at all in my game. Rock, <laughs> rocking the HBK shirt because he was my. Now, I gotta know at the house show. Did they give you the sunglasses too, or no? That was I, the, the package deal they offered here was great. Yeah, because I don't remember. Twenty one bucks. It's a yeah. great deal. Yeah, I, I do love that they have across the bottom, of, and they match the font really nicely, which I thought was a nice little touch. Um, this phone number is no longer in service, or something along those lines. Um, because otherwise there would be absolutely be kids calling or, or people in their forties like me, um, calling and trying to get this shirt. Um, yeah, I, that was, that was a fun little, I, I forget about those things because now everything's online and, and all of that, you know, you just hop on every month on the pay-per-view. They've got some, I didn't catch what the deal was last night, but it's usually, you know, like buy a t-shirt, get one for a dollar or 50% off championship belts or, um, you know those are the merch ads now. So some things haven't changed. They're always pushing merch, which they should, they're a business. Um, but back then it was call this number and get this shirt and sunglasses for 21 bucks plus, you know, five ninety five shipping and handling or whatever. Steal of a deal. It was, I mean, 20, you know, even 27 bucks after, you know, shipping for a t-shirt and a pair of sunglasses. It's a pretty good deal. You pay more than that for the shirt now. So, uh, Tag team title matches up next. Owen Hart and Yokozuna, who had won the titles uh, when Yokozuna was the uh, surprise mystery partner for Owen Hart at WrestleMania, win the titles. And they go against the allied powers of Lex Luger and the British Bulldog. I have to tell you one little funny. Um, as I was putting this banner in, um, I accidentally, and I caught it, thankfully, but had typed the allied powers of Lex Luthor and the British Bulldog, uh, which is a different tag team and in the DC comic uh, world, apparently. Uh, the the tag champs here retain their titles in 10 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, Meltzer gave it only two and a half stars. Um, I don't know. I It worked for me, you know, again, Lex Luger is never going to be confused with Ricky Steamboat or Ric Flair or Shawn Michaels. Um, the Bulldog is, is good in some matches and other matches, um, you know, as, as he got so bulked up, sometimes it would limit him a little bit. I know too. Yokozuna is a little bit of a shell of himself here. Um, that is the one downfall for me. Um, you know, Yokozuna two years before WrestleMania nine time frame um, was the number one heel in the company. Um, he's obviously put on even more weight here. He's really, really big. Um, and it may not even be, but a few more years um, before Yoko unfortunately passes. But uh, I like the Owen Hart and Yokozuna tag team. Owen Hart being that kind of uh, is a smarmy heel. I don't know if that's the right word I want here, um, but he's always looking for the way to one up you. And how better to one up you than my tag team partners, Yoko frickin' Zuna. Um, you know, you got to try to be that guy. Um, we're going to hold the belts forever, you know, kind of thing. So I liked it. I, I liked the teaming of Luger and Bulldog, actually. Um, I, I, I was okay with that. Um, and I, I did. If I'm wrong, they debuted at WrestleMania 11, right? Uh, 
that was their first big showing. Okay. I think okay. I think they had worked Superstars or Challenge or something a little bit. Um, but yeah, they wrestled in the opener um, at WrestleMania against the Blue Brothers, um, Jacob and Eli, or the Harris Boys as we now know them. Um, I I did really like though at the beginning of this match when Luger and Yokozuna faced off that they did talk about the fact that about a year before at SummerSlam, before SummerSlam. Luger had body slammed Yokozuna on the was it USS Intrepid, I think. Uh, and, you know, the whole Lex Express thing, which whatever, however you feel about that. Uh, but I like that they called back to that. And I like that they they didn't just forget about it because far too often now we know, um, and even back then, you know, WWE will just kind of forget things like that happened and not really bring it up. Uh, so I thought that was cool that they brought that up here. Uh, I, I thought the match was fine. I, you know, Meltzer got crabby here at the end of the show. So Yeah, no, I thought it was fine, too. I really enjoyed the stuff between Owen and Bulldog, I think, the most. I think that was the highlight of the match. Yep. Uh, and even you'd, you'd expect that because of their connection. Um, I did a lot of I did a lot more reflecting like on this match and going, wow, I won or, or what if, as I watched this out. Because I remembered, okay, it was six weeks after this match, Luger shows up on Nitro. And, you know... Lex Luger, arguably, I mean, when you compare his WWF run to his WCW tenures, night and day, like in terms of scope, like and impact, like he's a champion in WCW. He's he's always at the top of the card. What did what happened in WWF where they just couldn't get it right? Like, should they have pulled the trigger when the Yokozuna thing was going on? That that's, you could argue that that's probably the case. Right? But but who knows? Like, it, clearly they made a decision because the money, quote unquote, wasn't there. Um, so I guess go figure. And then this is also kind of weird because Bulldog was hot in 92, left and went to WCW and then came back. And then he ends up elevating from here, obviously. And then when, when the team dissolves, he turns heel and he becomes a challenger for Diesel later on down the road. Just it really, it was really interesting. I just was processing that. And then I also, it made me miss the heck out of Owen Hart and just think about how he was taken way, 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 way too soon. Uh, I was like, man, 99... It's like four years, not, not even a full four years right. from this match to that, to his passing, you know, and, and I just said, man, if he had, you know, if he had not passed away, like who was there in 2000 in WWE that he could have faced off against and probably could have led and Kurt Angle sprung right to mind, a Kurt Angle Owen Hart match or feud, my word. Yeah, probably, probably one of those things that, that we still rave about to rave about today had we had that opportunity. Yeah, I mean Kurt Angle, the Radicals come in in uh, is that 2000, I think as well. Um, you know, Owen Hart, Eddie Guerrero, Owen Hart, Dean Malenko, um, even Owen Hart, he who shall not be named. Um, you know, yeah. I don't know about Owen Hart, Perry Saturn. That one doesn't excite me quite as much. But um, but the other guys, yeah. I mean, the sad part, really looking at this match for me too, is is Luger is the only one still here with us. Um, 25 years later, and I know 25 years is a lot of time, but these are all fairly young men um, at this point in their lives. And um, to know within five years, we'll lose both, you know, Owen and, and Yoko and, and Bulldog a few years after that, I think. Um, and, and Luger has had his share of health concerns along the way. So, uh, yeah, that's sometimes watching these old shows, that's just, you know, it strikes me when I realize like how many people are gone. Um, even from these shows in the nineties, you know, certainly in the eighties, a, a lot more even, even so, but, um, 
it, it, it's a little sad to see that. Um, but that struck me in this match that Lex was the only one left uh, from these four. Yeah. Yep. I'm not sure how to segue off of that. So we'll just move into no, the main that, that, That's reality. And we have to name it, unfortunately. And, and, and you know, hopefully, uh, we won't know, obviously, for probably another 10, 20 years from now that the changes that have been made over the better part of the last decade plus are, are yielding longer term outcomes for all the talents involved. Let's hope so. Yeah, because I mean, even you look up and down this card, you know, Viscera, uh, Viscera, Mabel, same guy, um, is no longer with us. Now, granted, you know, that big of a guy, there's obviously some other health concerns probably going on there. Um, and of course, Bam Bam, no longer with us either. Um, I think the rest of everybody is, um, which which is good. Although uh, there was a dark match before the, the show started. I saw um, Skip from the Body Donnas, who will show up here in the main event as a, as a lumberjack. Um, Beat, I think it was Aldo Montoya in the dark match, and and Skip is no longer Chris Candido's gone as well. So, uh, well, let's get to this lumberjack match, the WWF title lumberjack match. Diesel, Big Daddy, Cool, defending against Psycho Sid. He defended against Sid at, at In Your House One, um, and then they had a tag match, kind of weird, um, that a King of the Ring the tag matches the main event between Diesel and Bam Bam versus Sid and Tatanka uh, from the Million Dollar Corporation. But that leads to this lumberjack match because Sid keeps kind of. Uh, leaving the situation and not uh, sticking around. Um, so they're, you know, is he scared, all of those kinds of things. Um, I do not have a list of all of the lumberjacks. I had, there was a page that had that um, and I forgot to pull it up, but there there were some notable lumberjacks to me um, in this. Uh, you had a very early Triple H uh, was down there. Uh, you had uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, who we now know, to, know as former Ring of Honor champion PCO, uh, who looks absolutely nothing like PCO. And I'm amazed at how small he looked, um, like short-wise. Um, to me, PCO seems tall, and that's probably because most of the guys in Ring of Honor maybe aren't as tall. Um, so he looks bigger. But I was just amazed in this this show uh, when he was walking around at ringside like... His his girth oh. now. Yeah, his girth 25 years later. Right. Uh, he's got some girth now. Um, you also had uh, Rad Radford, uh, also no longer with us. Luis Piccoli uh, was down there. Mantar, who again, how do we not have an action figure of this guy? Seriously, um, I, <laughs> goofy gimmick, but I don't know why. I just I smile every time Mantar is on the screen. Um, and then, then my personal favorite of the whole thing, um, and as much as I always joke about, oh, why don't we have an action figure? Let's never get them of these guys. Techno Team Two Thousand, Eric Watts, and. Uh, his partner, whose name escapes me totally at this point, Chad Champion, something like that, Chris? No, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of Firebreaker Chip and whatever. Anyways, in WCW. Um, Techno Team 2000, probably their only pay-per-view appearance, I think. Um, I would have to go back and look. But, uh, yeah, they're Lumberjacks here for this match. Um, but it's the world title match. It goes... Excuse me, clicked on the wrong thing there. It goes 10 minutes and two seconds uh, before Diesel gets the win uh, with a big boot uh, for the finish instead of the powerbomb uh, here. Which is super interesting. That's that's my big takeaway. Well, that's not my big takeaway. But that's, that is one of the big takeaways in this match. You've already proven, you've already seen, even through the highlights that you see leading up to this match, Diesel can powerbomb him. And he loses to a big boot? I mean, at least he hooked both legs. <laughs> right. You know, 
I totally agree with what you're saying. And yet I also, one of the things I've liked, and this is going a little bit of a segue, one of the things I've liked with Cody's run in AEW is that it's not always the crossroads that finishes a match. He's one with a figure four. He's one with a couple other things. Um, so I like when guys can win a match with something other than their finisher too. Um, and the big boot from Diesel works okay, although it probably would be a little more uh, believable on a smaller opponent that it, oh yeah, that would knock out, you know, Aldo Montoya or whatever, um, or even Shawn Michaels. Um, yeah, it was a little strange that they didn't do the power bomb here. Yeah. Cause they showed footage of both of them power bombing each other, um, from in your house one and, uh, yeah, no power bomb here. Just, just that I will say diesel's tope at one point over the top rope onto the lumberjacks. I had totally forgotten that happened. Wow. That's a big dude going over the ropes like that. Um, he's no undertaker flying. That's for sure. But uh, kudos to the big man for doing that. Forgive me if I'm asking you to repeat something you already told me. What's the star rating on this match? Did you say that already? I, I don't think I did. Uh, okay. The star rating, uh, a half a star. Okay. I mean, I thought it was a little bit better than that. I, I apologize for asking that question, too, because I was distracted looking up Techno Team 2000 uh, just to make sure that we were very accurate of referring to Travis and Troy. Troy being the Eric Watts of the group and Travis being Chad Fortune. Okay, so, so there was so a you, Chad in the name. Yeah, so. yeah, so there you are. Now, not, able to find out if that was their only pay-per-view appearance for the WWE? Or WWE? Um, yeah, I'm, it, it's it's the last footnote on Wikipedia under their WWF <laughs> tenure, so take that for what you will. <laughs> yeah, I, they, they didn't work King of the Ring. I, I do know that. I'm pretty sure they weren't the tag challengers at SummerSlam. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, so obviously this match really becomes a, a, a footnote. Maybe that's the wrong term. Um, it, it, it's a holdover to, to what was supposed to be the, the two top matches at SummerSlam and that we already alluded to one of them being Diesel being challenged by King Mabel and they get into it on the floor. I thought it was interesting that when that, that dive happened by Diesel, he didn't make any connection with Mabel. I think that might have like added to it if they were thoughtful about that. Um, but maybe maybe they wanted to separate them so that way when Mabel does squash him like a bug against the ring post, that there's more there's more motivation there, right? So he didn't need to be he didn't need to be uh, antagonized first. He was out for blood no matter what. And then uh, and then there's a spot when Sid's on the floor with the lumberjacks where. Sean comes off with a double axe handle. It was supposed to be Sid versus Shawn Michaels for the IC title. Uh, and as we talked about the infamous or famous click, um, some power plays happened uh, at, before SummerSlam 95 that gave us a much better match. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not even sure if Sid was on that show. So, Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, I, you know, I think Mabel... Uh, squashing diesel against the the ring post as you said was a good way to start setting that match up um i all the more though i think they should have had him powerbomb sid because then you start to say well you could powerbomb sid but can he powerbomb mabel you know yeah. although on the flip side maybe what they were showing is he doesn't have to powerbomb somebody to win and maybe you can kick mabel in the face and and beat him that way um and off the top of my head i don't remember how that match i mean i know Mabel was never world champion, so I know Diesel wins. Uh, but I don't remember the finish to that match without going back and watching it, uh, which unless we do a retro review on it, I'm probably not going to put myself through that. Um, that just doesn't scream, hey, 
rewatch this. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I thought it was a fun, you know, as I mentioned last week, I am a Sid fan. I like Sid. Uh, he is a whack job as far as a human being goes. Um, and he is, you know, obviously super unreliable, um, especially during softball season for things. Um, you know, I thought there was a, a really interesting, um, was it about a year ago, maybe a little longer, he was supposed to appear for AIW uh, over in Ohio um, and ended up bailing on them kind of last minute, um, not getting on the plane. And he, he was blaming like Trump's travel ban, why he couldn't go. And like, are, are you from Saudi Arabia, dude? Like, what are you talking about? Um, the, the owner of AIW had actually recorded that message, uh, kept that message and released it publicly, which was just amazing. Um, but when Sid was in the ring, I always liked the guy. I liked him in the skyscrapers. Uh, he didn't fit in the horseman. That was weird. Um, but I liked him in WCW, liked him in ECW, just big guy dropping people with power bombs left and right. Um, I mentioned last week, I do own his elite figure. Maybe someday I'll get it signed. Uh, in fact, that was kind of why I was paying attention to the AIW thing. Originally, my intent was to send it to some friends of ours to get it signed. Um, didn't end up happening, thankfully, because he didn't end up showing up anyways. But um, I, so I, I enjoy when Sid's in big matches. Um, I don't know. This was fun. I, all in all, I thought it was it was a fun show. Was it, you know, best show ever? No, not even close. Um, was it the worst show I've ever sat through? Again, not even close. Um, I think we've we've seen far worse shows from WWE and other organizations along the way. Uh, I don't know what were, what were your takeaways, Tom? Yeah, no. Again, thinking back, like I like I shared last week, I remember pooling money with friends. You know, so granted, I didn't have gainful employment 25 years ago because I was a youngster, uh, adolescent, pre-adolescent time in my life. Um, so whatever whatever my chores were around the house or whatever I was doing to, to scrape a few bucks together. And the fact that, you know, this was a $15 price tag um, made it made it very doable. This is way, way before the advent and invent of the WWE network and $10 a month for whatever you want to stream. Also, what was streaming? 25 years ago, um, yeah, you know, lakes and rivers were streaming. Um, so yeah, so no, just the, the, I can remember, like I said, where I was, who I was with, I remember being on the edge of my seat for the Shawn Michaels double J match. Um, obviously I went to a house show less than a month after this match and then a TV taping in the, in the months that followed. So WWF was, was where my attention was in 95 with, ECW uh, through newsletters being a very close second. So um, interestingly, because again, like I said, nothing wrong with it, but the, my taste in wrestling now, and when you compare them to this card, doesn't necessarily, you know, again, that your tastes evolve over time. So to that end, I wanted to ask you, uh, like, is there a favorite Sid or era of Sid that you have? You mentioned a few of them, but like, is there one that just is at the top of your list? You know, I, it's a little bit skewed, but um, it, probably the early Sid Justice um, when he came into the WWF um, and, and turned heel fairly soon thereafter. You know, he was the special ref at SummerSlam. And um, and, and part of that is because um, a friend of mine growing up uh, had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and through Make-A-Wish, um, his wish was to be able to meet Hulk Hogan. So he got to go and meet Hulk Hogan, but he also got to bring along some friends. Um, we didn't get to meet Hulk Hogan, but we got to go to the show with him 
Uh, we went to Milwaukee. We lived in Rockford, Illinois at the time. We went to Milwaukee. We stayed in a really nice hotel. We had a really nice dinner, you know, all those kinds of things. Had a limo that took us um, to the show. And, and we sat in the second row, which is the first time I'd ever sat that close. Um, my first show ever, I sat on the floor, but it was like six or seven rows back. So it was hard to see. Um, so, but I sat second row and it was, uh, the main event was Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper against Sid Justice and Ric Flair, um, which was just kind of fun. Um, and I remember we were leaving the show that night. And as we were leaving, we kind of had to go out the way the wrestlers went out because the limo was there to pick us up. And um, that's where, you know, the limo had to come in. And Sid was getting into his car. And I remember just yelling, hey, Sid. And Sid looked and waved. So, like, I was starstruck, like you said. I should have walked over and tried to get a picture. I didn't. Um, I don't know if they would have let me. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, so so Sid Justice time frame is definitely a favorite for me. Um, although I, I enjoyed him all along, um, you know, even up until the end there in WCW when he had that awful um, leg break um, coming off the second rope, which Sid should never be on the ropes. That's just stupid. Uh, that man does not belong flying. So, yeah, that's that's my Sid story. Uh, nice. I like that. We all have our guilty pleasures, too, so I'll never judge you for years with Sid. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sid and Mantar, you know, I mean, just give me a Sid and Mantar match and I'm a happy guy. Um, all right. Maybe not for the match. Mantar wasn't any good in the ring, but I just thought the gimmick was so ridiculous. It was fun. Uh, well, this was fun to go through our first retro review. Um, we'll we'll probably pull a few of these in the future as well. Um, won't ever become the focus fully of our podcast, but um, we stay mostly on current stuff. But it's fun every once in a while to kind of take a look back. Um, you know, might be sometime might be fun to look. Um, I'd have to get Honor Club to do it, but um, try to think back to what would be the first show you and I both attended. Um, of course, that was probably before we met, um, because I think we've since figured out that we were attending shows at the same time and just hadn't met each other at some point. But um, to go back and look at a Ring of Honor show, I, I don't want to step on our friend Jeff's toes um, with the uh, honorable mention podcast that that he and Shane Hagedorn have, but. Um, Eh, it'd be fun anyways to, to go back and look at some of those sometime. So Tom, any closing thoughts either on, on in your house or, or things in general? Yeah. Well, so I, I, I looked before we started recording today and it wasn't posted yet, but I saw a tweet yesterday that kind of like teases what's up, what's coming up in the next month on the WWE network. That's going to be added to their catalog. Um, and I'm hopeful that it will still show up today. Not that I have all the time in the world to watch these shows, but I'd love to start tipping away at them. Uh, the, the the latter two thirds of the 96 calendar year, and then I think all of 97 or much of 97, the ECW Super Shows are going to be uploaded, which were, those were like the big ECW Arena events that, that were parsed into TV tapings or sometimes were just released on VHS. There's a lot of good stuff. Um, again, that's that's that, that's a sweet spot for me just because of like the nostalgia and, and what hooked me. I mean, I remember I was a diehard Pro Wrestling Torch subscriber and I was a diehard tape trader as minimalistic as that was, you know, in the small circle of if I could find someone that had a first generation copy of something and I had something they wanted to double copy and ship that out as illegal as it was 25, 30 years ago. That wasn't 30 years ago. It was 25 years ago, 26 years ago ish to get that in, to get my hands on that and to watch it, man, that was, that was awesome. So I'd love to see those come up and I would love to, take a stroll on memory lane, even though it's, it's obviously not the authentic product because of the copyrights and all that other fun stuff. But 
ECW and ring and, and what they were doing back then was definitely not what you were seeing at in your house too. <laughs> that is, that is very, very true. Um, yes, very true. That would be fun uh, to go back. And I, I don't think I saw a lot of 96 um, ECW, you know, around barely legal is when I, I was paying attention to it. Like you said, through newsletters and magazines, um, and, and even maybe early online, I can't remember if Prodigy and AOL were, I think they were probably around by that point. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I, I was on both at one point or another. Uh, so I was aware of them and was following kind of what was happening. But uh, I think Barely Legal was probably one of the first shows I saw. And we we got it really intermittently on one of the sports channel, um, Sports Channel Chicago, I think it was. Uh, sometimes it would be on at two in the morning kind of thing. And sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, so it was tough to follow for me for a little bit, but I really enjoyed what I saw. And then once they hit pay-per-view and then uh, I, I saw most of the pay-per-views and then once they hit TNN, I was off and running with them until till the bitter end. But um, yeah, ECW is fun stuff. So that'd be fun to go back and look um, and, and see how it holds up too. Um, 25 years later. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, all right, well, um, we'll be back next week sometime. I don't think we've even talked about what we'll look at next week. Yeah, um, we, we booked out the whole month of July and we, we, we bookended with today's uh, topic and recording. So that's right. So yeah, obviously the next month we have with SummerSlam month from now and probably, think, probably talk some Sengoku Lord uh, for new Japan as well. Yeah. Um, as that comes up here in the middle of the month. Um, but we'll, we'll definitely have things to talk about. I have no doubt. Um, there'll probably be more to talk about even after raw tonight. Um, I did, uh, Tom, just let's, we'll just cycle back and we'll bookend with this. Um, two quick notes I just pulled up on uh, wrestlinginc.com. Um, apparently, uh, the finish to Banks and Oscar was changed last minute last night um, by Vince McMahon, who else? Um, and, and because he wanted to create some controversy that he thinks will draw people into Raw tonight. See if he's right. Um, and and we were correct in our assumption. Um, the the report from Dave Meltzer is that um, Apollo Cruz's missing last night was COVID related, um, and that he will need to be cleared today before he could appear tonight. So um, that, according to Dave Meltzer. So um, so then was last night live, or or on a brief replay? You could, in most cases with WWE, if it's got the little live thing up in the corner, they're legit. Um, when they've recorded things in advance, they don't usually put that up. Although I think it was up for uh, Rollins and Mysterio, which I had read was recorded earlier that day. Um, I didn't know anything that was going to happen, thankfully, but um, I had recorded, had seen that they'd recorded that earlier that day, probably so they had time to clean vomit up. Uh, um, <laughs> but um, so I, I believe last night was mostly live. Um, obviously like the swamp match and that was, was pre-recorded, but, um, you can't no. shoot something like that live. <laughs> yeah, no exactly. Way. Yeah. No, Braun was really there attacking <laughs> Braun. Um, <laughs> oh, WWE, you give us things to talk about. Uh, but, um, so apparently, yeah, last night, um, Apollo was COVID related, whatever that means. Um, <clears throat> so best thoughts to Apollo Crews, hopefully, um, he can get that cleared, uh, whatever is going on, whether you, you know, had a symptom or something like that. Um, hopefully it's nothing, nothing too bad. Um, cause yeah, this isn't fun. We don't want to be going through this crap, um, that 
the world is going through. So uh, I do. I did notice, Tom, you got a shout out last week that um, on your PSA. So kudos on that. And uh, we we echo that same PSA, guys. Let's get through this thing. Common sense. Let's supply some. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Tom, on a final note, uh, enjoy baseball this weekend. Uh, I am looking forward to watching the Cubs on Friday night. Um, got to watch a little bit of last night it recorded. Um, so I watched a little bit of it after the show, after the stream rules last night, um, uh, their scrimmage, uh, or preseason game, spring training, whatever. Summer, summer camp. Summer, summer camp. camp. Game, that's right. Um, with the white Sox, So that was kind of just fun to see, um, Hopefully they'll pipe some noise in though. I had seen a, a Mets and Yankees game where they did that over the weekend. Um, and that really did help some because baseball with no sound is, it's a little awkward, but. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm very much looking forward to uh, Tigers fan here. Uh, for those that don't know me that are listening or watching and Tigers Reds on Friday, I have, I have a watch party with friends that we love baseball. So we're going to probably do hot dogs because that's very, very baseball-esque and, uh, and enjoy some time watching the Tigers and the Reds and 60 game season for all these teams. If we can make it through, if, uh, if the pandemic doesn't prevent anything from happening and who knows, I think it's, I think it's anyone's, anyone's season in a short season. And, and arguably some teams have it harder. And, and you, you and I both know our teams will face off head to head. So that'll be fun when that happens too. Absolutely. And you know, this is, this is kind of the, I know in 162 game, season every game counts because sometimes it does really come down to one or two games um in a 60 game season holy smokes everything counts so uh, but we're not a baseball podcast but you're going to catch things from us time to time about other things we enjoy in life as well uh, so good luck to your tigers except for when they play like cubs of course uh, and uh we will see you next week awesome can't wait thanks guys all right take care everybody